0: Chapter 20 of Autobiography of an Actress by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. A tiny cottage that looked like a bird's nest dropped in a fairy circle was our home at Malvern. The miniature dwelling stood in the center of a garden so luxuriant that the floral beauties crowning cheek to cheek, struggled to overtop each other, seem engaged in a perpetual contention which should enfold most loveliness to the sun or fling most fragrance on the breeze. Close to the cottage, rose trees either side the door were growing lithe and growing tall. Each one set a summer warder for the keeping of the hall, with a red rose and a white rose leaning and nodding at the wall. Standing in the little garden facing the cottage, a range of magnificent hills formed the background of the landscape, hills that appeared to be the young mountains just gaining their growth. These malvern hills were the scene of Langlade's poetic vision. Their picturesque grandeur must have filled any dreamer's brain with shapes of ideal beauty, and may have given birth to many an unpinned inspiration." upon an eminence a short distance from our cottage stood dr w s water cure establishment both invalids sought the benefits of hydropathy and were daily attended by dr w but candour compels me to say that only one adhered to the rules enforced at the establishment after the first month during which period my health made little visible progress i decided by my own feelings what portion of the treatment agreed with me and discarded that which did not before long i was able to mount a donkey one of the most docile and obedient specimens of that much-abused race i generally rose soon after the sun had set me the example and while the morning mists were rolling up the hills my gentle donkey carried me to the summit the eye never wearied of daguerreotyping the rich panorama that encircled these mountain-like hills. On every side fresh prospects were unfolded, their aspect varying with the changing lights. I spent many an hour watching, in wondering admiration, the kaleidoscope hues of each scenic phase. Once or twice Mr. Malwood accompanied me in a garden chair, but the exercise found too fatiguing. I, took my daily donkey excursions attended only by the boy driver walking at the donkey's side this youth was born beneath the shadow of malvern hills and often amused me with his original conceptions of the world beyond we exchanged opinions on various subjects and now and then under the startling influence of a new idea he would come to a sudden stop in his trotting walk and exclaim "'Good golly! You don't believe that now, surely?' "'Pronounced lie. You doesn't. "'Who can say through what narrow crevices of light "'the truth may shine upon the darkened mind? "'What tiny seed, casually scattered, "'may take root in unbroken soil and spring heavenward? "'I believe I reciprocated some of the donkey boy's chagrin "'when his attendance was no longer needed "'and the donkey was exchanged for a horse.' a solemn-looking steed it was decidedly advanced in years and warranted to have renounced all youthful indiscretions trusting in his good character i started upon my first ride unattended the ladies at malvern frequently make excursions on horseback alone my staid-looking pegasus unexpectedly ran away with me and was stopped by some countrymen We subsequently learned that he was once a quite celebrated racer and had won several trophies. The approach of age had caused his present retirement into private life. I rode him every day for six weeks, and he never ran away with me but once more, and then he was influenced by a dangerous effect of a bad example. I was riding with a friend. Her horse took fright and ran mine called to mind his ancient victories and did not choose to appear wanting in spirit the two horses passed each other again and again on the road both riders being unable to hold them in I could only cry out to my friend as I darted by her. Keep your seat, Fanny, keep your seat, and there is no danger. Her exhausted, I can't, I can't, terrified me so much that by sudden impulse I turned my horse's head into a hawthorn hedge. He stopped suddenly and evinced some slight displeasure at the indignity. On looking back, I saw my friend lying upon her horse almost insensible and a gentleman holding her reins and those of his own horse i rode back to them the stranger proved to be a physician we supported the now helpless equestrian between us and walked our horses to henley castle which was just in sight the castle is occupied by some of the descendants of sir thomas lucy of charlotteau and shakespearean memory we alighted and my friend was carried back into the house our unexpected but most gracious host and hostess tenderly ministered to the sufferer and for some time after she revived would not allow us to leave their hospitable roof the horses were sent home by a groom with a message informing mr Mawat of our safety about an hour afterwards the carriage of our host was brought to the door and he accompanied us home from that time i rode alone and found my sedate steed more manageable than when in company after four months sojourn in malvern we returned to london towards the close of our stay mr malwit had rapidly grown worse he almost entirely lost the use of his limbs the strong arms of a friend were needed to bear him from his sofa to the carriage. All his energies, physical and mental, appeared suddenly to fail. Night brought to his sufferings no obvious balm, mornings no invigorating relief. At this crisis, the entreaties of friends induced us to call in the celebrated Dr. D., the discoverer and promulgator of the chromothermal practice of medicine. We were already personally acquainted with him and his lovely wife, and were familiar with certain of his cures, which almost deserve the name of marvelous. With his coming, departing hope dawned anew, and once more painted the bow of promise upon our future. His skill procured the sufferer almost instantaneous relief, arresting the, the disease which was beyond mortal cure the invalid was now confined entirely to his bed but the spirit of pain had been exercised a holy calm diffused itself about that deathbed, as though the breathing of good angels enveloped it with a heavenly aura the veil of eternity was falling around it not in funereal blackness that speaks of annihilation but in the golden and purple folds of promise, descending from the new heavens. To him who lay on that couch, in purified patience of spirit, death was a smiling angel of invitation, throwing open the crystal portals of the future and joyfully beckoning the new guest into the mansions of more perfect life, a life of holier uses, more ineffable joys, more conscious individuality, more angelic progression. Very often, with placid brow and serene tones, he spoke of the coming change. His faith was so full of living, quickening certainty, that it rebuked the tears whose rebellious fall would have profaned such a deathbed. He had not dwelt in the suburbs of the holy city, but entered into its innermost temple, the doctrines of the new church had not been received into his memory merely but had come forth into his daily life and had been inscribed upon his heart a never wavering trust had cast out fear and given the foot of the summoner the sound of music his worldly arrangements were made with methodical precision that usually characterized his actions his still entangled affairs were smoothed as far as possible That over, his own words were, I am ready to go, yet I have found sweetness enough in this life to be willing to stay. Thy will, not mine, was his spirit's true expression. A couple of months passed on, and the invalid grew decidedly better. He never left his bed, yet he gained strength. His sight was partially restored. His ever-cheerful bearing often verged upon actual gaiety. The skill of his physician was fighting a hard battle with the great conqueror. His symptoms became so favorable that I could not but cling to the probability that he might yet recover. After a time, he did the same. My own health, which was not entirely restored when I left Malvern, under the care of Dr. D., became thoroughly re-established, and I had the need for all my strength. My long illness had commenced in the spring winter was approaching. As soon as my perfect restoration became known, I had numerous offers for theatrical engagements. Then, for the first time, Mr. Monwet disclosed to me that by far the larger portion of all we possessed, the hard earnings of a long period of exertion, had, for business purposes, been left in the hands of the manager of the Olympic Theater. In his ruin, it had been swept away it became needful that i should resume my labours the instant that i felt able i pass over what this intelligence was to me life in all its bitter necessities its hard requirements had brought no extremity that tried me as did this my most advantageous offers were in the provinces I must leave my vigils beside a couch, which I still believed might be the bed of death, to wear the mockery of glittering robes in the frigid atmosphere of a theatre. I sought a private interview with Dr. D, and entreated him to disclose to me his patient's true condition. The doctor's reluctance to comply with my request was almost answer sufficient, I told him frankly our exact situation and implored him not to conceal from me the truth. I shall never forget or cease to be grateful for the feeling which he exhibited. His answer was, I have never seen so many wonders affected by a proper medical treatment that I am never inclined to say that recovery is impossible. In the case of Mr. Mowat, I fear that it is improbable. No one can decide how long he may live. It may be a few months. It may be much longer. Might the time be even shorter? It might be. But he appears so much better that I do not anticipate any immediate danger. And what must I do? Anything rather than to excite him by opposition, if you would not produce fatal consequences do you mean to say that i must leave london and fulfil some of these engagements for the most advantageous one the one that he entreats me to accept is in dublin yes if he is bent upon it you must go i dreaded nothing so much as beholding cares for the morrow re-enter with disturbing influence the now peaceful mind of one whose morrows on earth were numbered Without further hesitation, I told him I would go. Richly did his reply reward the struggle for self-government which enabled me to make the decision. The Dublin engagement was accepted for January. I was to remain absent but three weeks and then hasten back to London. Mr. Davenport was at that period engaged at the Haymarket Theatre, having been selected by Mr. Macready as his support during his farewell of the stage this precluded the possibility of mr davenport's accompanying me it was finally decided that i should make the journey alone attended by mrs Rinshaw in the capacity of lady's maid her name has before been mentioned in these memoirs as the person whose courage saved the life of the young girl at the marlebon theatre This instance of presence of mind, added to her well-known respectability and her accomplishments as a costumer, caused her to be selected by Mr. Mowat as a trustworthy companion. She had officiated as Mistress of the Wardrobe in two theatres, but had never before entered service. She had been a widow for more than twenty years the maid whom i had several times alluded to in previous chapters was her elder sister and had waited upon me ever since i came to london she was at this period mr mallet's nurse a very pattern of devotion and patience and was to remain with him the night before i commenced my journey the invalid called me to his bedside he pointed out a small trunk and said that should it be the will of our lord That this parting was our last on earth, I would find in that trunk several letters, one of which he trusted would prove full of comfort. The doctor had warned me to give way to no emotion, and I could but listen in silence while he spoke of the future, the present, the past. He talked of the child who had walked by his side to school. Of the young girl he had educated, the spring days of whose existence he had filled with earth's rosiest hues, of the companion whom, when life ceased to be a pastime, God had gifted with strength to bear one half of the appointed burden. It was past midnight when I left him, sinking peacefully to sleep, and I changed my soul to hold my body strengthened for the sun. Well, I might, for with that morning came the fixed conviction that I was looking for the last time upon a face which, at least when it turned to me, had ever been full of tenderness. The train for Liverpool started soon after daylight. Long before that period, Mrs. Renshaw had been called to the bedside of the invalid and I was asked to complete my preparations in my own little room adjoining. When I again was summoned, I did not inquire what had been the subject of conversation. I soon discovered it when I found that I had not a settled peculiarity, an odd fancy, and a special taste with which my companion had not suddenly become acquainted true to her promise she used her best endeavors to gratify the taste yield to the fancies and respect the peculiarities when her perfect knowledge of my ways drew from me many a surprised, who told you to do that or how did you know i liked that there was always the same answer the moment of parting came The suffering one left behind retained his smiling composure to the end. For me, I might well be thankful that the last words were a blessing, for I never heard the sound of his voice again. End of chapter 20